Today on Not Sam Wrestling, all the backlash of Backlash, Puerto Rico sets a new standard for pay-per-view audiences. AEW sounds like 60,000 tickets. And the new World Heavyweight Championship tournament rules are announced. What do we think? This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, baby. Yes, 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 it is Sam Roberts. For what? 446? Something like that. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling coming right off a premium live event. What better time? To hit you with a Not Sam Wrestling, uh, I have to tell you that international wrestling fans are controlling the top spot right now. As far as fandom goes, I don't know if in America we've just been spoiled and had it too good for too long, but internationally they're reminding us right now exactly how good that we have it. I mean... It was such a treat on Friday, just watching SmackDown emanating from San Juan, Puerto Rico. And not only, it's really fun getting these episodes of SmackDown. It's almost like back in the day, you remember uh, before a WWE pay-per-view, they would do Sunday Night Heat. Sunday Night Heat was a show that WWE would have live on Sunday nights. Well, I guess it wouldn't always be live. But it would be Sunday nights at 7 p.m. on MTV, and it would be live before pay-per-views. So instead of a a traditional pre-show, they had that MTV time slot. Otherwise, I guess they would tape it usually. But on on pay-per-view nights, you would get an hour of Sunday night heat, and they'd be in the building. This is when uh, every pay-per-view had a different set. They'd build specific sets for pay-per-view, so you'd get a look at the arena, you'd get a feel for it, and it really got you excited for the event. You'd also get a taste of what the audience was going to be like because what you'd do is you'd switch over to the pay-per-view channel after Heat and hopefully pay your 35 bucks, 40 bucks, and watch this pay-per-view. Watch the continuation of what you saw building up on Sunday Night Heat, and that's the feeling that I get when they run SmackDown in the same venue as these international pay-per-views. Seeing uh, Backlash in San Juan uh, and and the fact that it came from not only the same arena on Friday, but it was the same set and everything. So you, you, you got this feel. I thought the entrance was awesome, not just because it was different, but that side screen and the narrowness of the entryway made it seem like the audience was just pouring on top of you as superstars walked to the ring. It felt like there wasn't room for one more chair in that arena, and that's what it sounded like, too. It was actually really interesting because as you're watching SmackDown, it was like the fans from San Juan were just there for absolutely everything. Every good guy got cheered. Every bad guy got booed. You know, the Dominic Mysterio thing, it's becoming a thing now. You know, it it started at first very organically 
I think it really the night after WrestleMania was the first time that it was like, oh, yes. It happened before. I remember I watched Dominic get booed at Monday Night Raw in Madison Square Garden. And I actually believe it would have been the first Monday Night Raw that maybe Triple H and Stephanie were in charge of at the time. I remember going there around that time. It was around that time, but it was Madison Square Garden for sure. And I remember sitting in the audience and watching Dominic Mysterio getting booed and thinking they finally found it with Dominic. My God, are they on to something? But it was the promo either the night after or the Friday night after WrestleMania when Dominic couldn't get a word out. No matter what he did, it was just raining booze on him. And that's happened here and there, like... If somebody comes out and says a terrible thing about the home sports team at, during the playoffs or something like that, then sure, you know, it's happened. But it's rare that just a character or or when it happened to Roman after WrestleMania 33 when he beat Undertaker and he showed up to Raw and he just stood in the ring for 10 minutes and got booed. Uh Dominic, though, not only did that happen after WrestleMania, but now it's a thing. Like, audiences have seen how fun it is and how good it feels to do. And so wherever he goes, he's getting booed out of the building. And I thought San Juan did the best job of it so far. Because he, I mean, just boo. It was it was deafening. Deafening is the word. But all the good guys getting uh, 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 cheered, all the bad guys getting booed. I loved it. And then they uh, open backlash and they use that same drone shot. I thought the drone shot was really cool. Uh, it showed you what you're capable of. Now, if you're going to do that drone shot, you do have to have the environment that you had at backlash where the audience is absolutely full of people. Because it's tough to avoid those spots where maybe you've thrown a blackout curtain up or or there's just not a lot of seats sold when you've got a drone. Those drones have those wide angles on them. But when you've got an arena like this, uh, I think it's awesome. I thought some of the entrances at the pay-per-view were complimented big time by it. The Bad Bunny entrance, for example. But that opening shot that they used both on SmackDown and at the pay-per-view where the drone starts outside the building and goes into the building, up the concourse where the fans are, and then into the arena itself and then down towards the ring. Just a really cool visual to start the show. Um, and I thought, I mean, let's get right into it, right? Uh, well, when, while we're talking about the fans, before we talk about where Bad Bunny fell on the card, uh, while we're talking about the fans... It almost felt like, especially in that opening match between EO and Bianca Belair, it almost felt like the audience had gone, okay, we're going to give you guys one. We'll give you one night, two big nights in Puerto Rico. We'll give you one. SmackDown, we'll all be on your side. Maybe they just love Fox. I don't know. But at the pay-per-view, that's when they decided, no, we're going to choose who we cheer for. And we're going to make Bianca work for it. That's not really something that's happened to Bianca like that before where Bianca has gone from being that superstar with all the potential in the world and people going, this is the future. Put her in the main event. Give her all the flowers. Put the biggest spotlight you can find on her. Well, they did it. It's 
happening. It happens every show now. And so for the first time in Puerto Rico, Bianca got that uh, John Cena response, right? Where it's like, not John Cena now, where we all realize he's the GOAT, but John Cena at, you know, the height of his fame. I don't know if I can put a year on it specifically, but John Cena getting yabooed, where it's like, yeah, he's the most popular superstar, but we're booing him because he gets everything. And that's where Bianca's is, is at. So it's going to be interesting to see if maybe it is time to take the title off Bianca and to kind of give fans something to support again. Or maybe this is something that just happens in Puerto Rico. See, that's the thing is that when these things happen in one city, sure, that city is an outlier at first, but it's just like the Dominic Mysterio thing. The reason Dominic Mysterio gets booed so loud that he can't cut his promos in every city that it, he's in is because it happened once on TV and everybody saw it and it was awesome. And they ended up on the same page when Dominic Mysterio showed up at his next city. And then people saw it two weeks in a row and now it's a thing. When Roman Reigns got booed for winning the Royal Rumble in Philly, they said, well, that's Philly. What do you expect is gonna happen? Except it wasn't just Philly. People watch it and they heard boos rain down on Roman and they went, oh, Oh, is this what we're doing? I kind of agree with that. I get where they're coming from. And it seems fun. Yeah, I think I'm going to boo Roman Reigns too. So the next week they booed Roman Reigns. Now it's two weeks in a row and boom, now it's a thing. And unless you can give people a reason to stop, it ain't stopping. So the question is, and, and this is something we're going to have to find out, I guess during Bianca's next big match. Is this an outlier? Is this simply because she was in San Juan? Is this simply because she was paired up with EO Sky? Almost said EO Shirai, EO Sky. And fans just love EO Sky so much, and that maybe was underestimated. Or is it a Bianca Belair thing? And it's something that that she's gonna have to deal with. Because I do think that you you have to deal with it. Too many times WWE has done things where they don't deal with it. They just plow ahead and go, well, whatever. They're the biggest star, and they're going to continue to be the biggest star. And I don't think that's the way you handle it, especially in all scenarios. Absolutely not in this one. So hopefully they uh, they handle that. And I'll talk about EO in a second. But I want to talk about the fan response to Bad Bunny, to Benito, first coming out on SmackDown, wearing that <laughs> wearing the classic... WWF logo on his jacket. That's how you know. Like, I don't know if people realize. I think at this point, people realize it. I think when Bad Bunny first started doing stuff with WWE, I think there were a lot of people that didn't quite understand how famous this guy was. Like, what a big deal. This isn't just some celebrity that is trying to get a payday or that is trying to promote their latest project or whatever. This is Bad Bunny. On, in no way, shape, or form, from a promotional or financial or, or financial perspective, does Bad Bunny have to do this? Bad Bunny is here because he wants to. This is something that I talked about. I don't know if you guys watched it. Uh, I was able to watch Backlash in the WWE headquarters with Matt Camp and Ryan Popola, and then right after the show, the three of us got into a studio and basically did a first take, I think, style show where we spent about an hour 
arguing and breaking down the card, which was so much fun to do. And I think the type of conversations that people should be having publicly about professional wrestling. I thought it was great, and hopefully I get the chance to do it again. If you haven't seen it, it's on Peacock, and it's on the WWE's YouTube channel. We put some clips out of, of it as well. But um, the the... One of the things that we talked about was that he doesn't have to do this. And this is exactly, and I think that's why people have fallen more and more in love with this guy from a wrestling perspective, is because this is what we as fans would do if we had the opportunity. If I was the biggest recording artist in the country, if I was so famous that I was dating Kardashians, and somebody came up to me and said, okay, you got about a month between shows here, whether it's between a tour and an album or whatever it is. You got this window of time. What do you want to do with it? I'd go, yeah, I want to go have a match at WrestleMania. I want to go have a match at Backlash. I want to hit Damian Priest with a kendo stick. That I would love to do that in an arena full of people. That's why he's doing it. And it's so great. It's what wrestling is all about. It's that, it's that childlike uh, wonderment that we all still have for it and just simply can't get past. And we all can sense that. And so Bad Bunny comes out and it, and it and it plays to how famous he is because there's no way anybody aside from Bad Bunny is allowed to walk to the ring with a jacket on where the logo hasn't gotten the F out yet. <laughs> but, but nobody's telling him, right? So he comes to the ring and I thought, man... And when he came to the ring with his jacket kind of draped down and the LWO behind him, he looked so badass. Like, it was so cool. It was such a good look. I don't know anybody that was sitting there going like, I don't know about this Bad Bunny thing, man. You couldn't. You couldn't possibly. Then he goes, and, and after that, right, after SmackDown, I'm going, you know... The move is probably to close the show with Bad Bunny. I don't know if that's what you were going to do from the start or not. But based on what just happened on SmackDown, and that's another benefit to having these episodes of SmackDown before pay-per-views in the arena in front of the crowd that they're going to be in front of, is that you can litmus test stuff. And it's like, you knew Bad Bunny was going to be popular, but you may not have realized exactly how popular he was really going to be. So when it came out, and, and I literally had the spot in my head. I think we talked about it on the Patreon uh, uh, content that we put out before Backlash, that the moment was Bad Bunny getting hoisted up on the shoulders of the LWO, the same way Brett the Hitman Hart got hoisted up on the sh shoulders of the baby faces of the WWE at WrestleMania 10, the same way Mankind got hoisted up on the shoulders of D-Generation X when he won the WWE Championship on Raw, that would be the moment that the LWO hoists Bad Bunny up on their shoulders as he defeats Damian Priest. And we got that moment, but it didn't close the show. And it put, it put the bloodline, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Matt Riddle in a hell of a spot as the kind of in-between match between that and the Cody Rhodes-Brock Lesnar main event. Now, they did switch it, and they did give Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest co-main event billing. They put it all over all the merchandise. I think they realized what the hometown crowd was going to see. Um, 
I think ultimately two things at play. I think that, and it's and it's not that dissimilar from the decision to have Roman Reigns beat Cody Rhodes, right? It's like moments are important, but so is moving the story forward. I think that it was really important to WWE that Cody Rhodes look like a main event star going into his match with Brock Lesnar. I also think that Brock Lesnar is coming off of having a match at WrestleMania against Amos. And and God bless Amos, it wasn't anywhere near a main event. So it's like, okay, let's up the equity in Brock and remind people, yeah, there's nobody on Brock's level. And let's make sure that Cody doesn't lose anything else. And this is something that I talked about going into Backlash that I thought was so important. I've been on the Cody needs adversity bandwagon. That's a very controversial position to take. A lot of people think that that is a ridiculous theory. I still stand by it, that Cody Rhodes needed that adversity. He needed that big loss to help propel his story because otherwise... Once he got his title, there wouldn't be anywhere to go. For me, that's just the way I felt. So, and I said that before WrestleMania. So, had that said, I don't think Cody needs any more adversity. I don't think Cody needs to get beaten a whole a hundred times. I think Cody needs to be beaten once. I think the fact that Cody went to WrestleMania and he put everything on that match and he said, this is the match. This match is the reason that I came back to the WWE. This match is about my father. This match is my story. And this match is the match that he lost. That's not just one loss. That's the whole thing. That's climbing to the top of the mountain and right before you hit the top, rolling all the way back down. We don't need to see him roll back down the mountain more than once, but he did it. I think the fact that Cody should still be portrayed as a top dog in WWE. Brock Lesnar as well. I think the fact that the way that match ended with Cody hightailing it out of there, right? With Cody getting the roll up and then leaving the ringside area and having Brock Lesnar be pissed. I think that that is the story that pushes forward coming off of backlash. Rey Mysterio isn't even on the LWO isn't even on the same brand as the judgment day anymore. The LWO and judgment day story doesn't keep going on. That was the end. We put a bow on it. So with backlash, what do you want to do? Do you want to take, your Judgment Day versus the LWO story, put a bow on it and end on that feel-good moment? Or do you want to take your, theoretically, top story on that show, Cody and Brock, and end on what is pushing towards Monday Night Raw? I think all of that combined with the fact that Brock Lesnar bled. You're billing Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest as a San Juan street fight. It's not going to be more hardcore than Brock and Cody. It's not. Cody is going to start the match with weapons. 
Brock is going to end the match bloody. Now, maybe the blood wasn't intended. Maybe that wasn't planned. I have no idea. You know, the fact that Cody and Brock might have done that hard way is possible. The fact that they made an exception to their rule on pay-per-view to tell the story with Cody and Brock is also possible. But regardless, I think that you could make the argument that in terms of street fight, in terms of hardcore rules, with the emphasis being on the fact that Puerto Rico is known for hardcore wrestling, the Bad Bunny match is not more hardcore than Brock versus Cody, and it never was going to be. Forgive the interruption, but I come to you from a place of understanding. I understand. Summers can be busy between work, vacations, enjoying time outdoors. Meal times need to be fast and efficient, but efficiency is key. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you save time while getting you the nutrition that you need. No shopping, no chopping, prepping, or cleaning up. Factor meals are ready in just two minutes. Heat, eat, and get back to your life. You can get your exercise. You can do everything you need to do. But if you're not eating right, none of it's going to mean a gosh darn thing. And it's it's near impossible with everything else that's going on to make sure that you get your meals exactly right. Factor, they do it all for you. Factor has meal plans for a variety of lifestyles, whether you're a vegan, a vegetarian, counting calories, keto, Factor is going to keep you on track. All of their meals are prepared by chefs and they're approved by dietitians, so you're never sacrificing taste. With over 34 awesome meals to try each week, you can switch things up and keep things exciting. Just head over to factormeals.com slash notsam40 and use code notsam 40 to get 40% off your first box. That's code NOTSAM40 at factormeals.com slash NOTSAM40 to get 40% off your first box. So, would you take it as seriously if you had already seen Brock and Cody? Maybe, and maybe it wouldn't have mattered because you would have gotten the moment. But I can at least understand why, when I saw Cody win the way he won, and then hightail it, and Brock looking mad into the camera to close the show, I said, okay, it makes sense that that's how you would close the show. And quite honestly, I don't think Cody and Brock had any difficulty following it. I think that it didn't do a lot for the Bloodline six-man tag, but that Bloodline six-man tag was already not the main event. It never was going to be the main event. So I understand where it's coming from, and in terms of the moment and everything that happened with Bad Bunny in that match... I don't think that that's part of that story. I don't think that people will remember it that way. I think that you'll remember how great that match was, how awesome Bad Bunny was for what I think was his first singles match. I could be wrong, but I think that was his first singles match. And and he was excellent. I mean, just dropping Michi Noku drivers. You know, I, it's crazy. But I also think that we should take a moment to give high praise to Damian Priest. Damian Priest got the opportunity at Backlash to be a main event player. To say, hey, you're in the main event. You're in the match with Bad Bunny. To the people in this arena, you're going to be part of that moment. And Damian Priest exceeded, for me, very high expectations. I, I thought... 
You talk about somebody who sees the moment. You talk about somebody who got an opportunity and took it as far as one can take opportunity. That was Damian Priest at Backlash. I didn't understand. When I saw him as a character sitting outside the ring and looking in that ring disappointed, I said the fact that that sports entertainer, (laughs) that pro wrestler, is not sitting there with an ear-to-ear smile going, oh, my God, I pulled it off. That was the best thing I've ever done in wrestling. Speaks even more to what a performer he is. Speaks even more to his ability to tell the story. Uh, Like, not a lot of people have. So, big, big praise goes to both Damian Priest and Bad Bunny for different reasons. But Damian Priest, I think, 100% proved at Backlash that he has what it takes to be a main event guy soon in the WWE. I, I I hope that the powers that be saw that match and realized how special uh, Damian Priest was. And clearly, we haven't seen the end of Bad Bunny. I said it on the, on the post show. If you tell me it's Bad Bunny versus Roman Reigns, I'm not telling you it's a lock that Roman Reigns' reign isn't ending, okay? I'm just saying. The idea of Bad Bunny as WWE, undisputed, heavyweight, universal champion is not as so far out of the realm of possibility as it once was. I'll just say that. Bad Bunny, I haven't found something the guy can't do yet. Bad Bunny got Michael Cole to admit that he twerks alone. Now, I think the the surprise there was that Michael Cole twerks. We all knew that if Michael Cole twerked, it was going to be alone. I think what we didn't realize was that he twerked at all. And leave it to San Benito, leave it to Bad Bunny to bring that out in Michael Cole. He's a, he's a world changer, this Bad Bunny. There's nothing he can't do. Now, getting back to the, the Cody and Brock Lesnar match, uh, I, I, I liked the way this ended. My kind of prediction for it was, okay, maybe Cody wins and he gets attacked by Brock Lesnar. I think that this was the probably, I don't this was a good scenario for the way this match ended. I thought that the match itself was very good. Uh, Cody attacking him before the match and using weapons and doing all that really lends itself to what a threat Brock Lesnar is and how exactly does Cody kind of overcome this beast? Uh, but I think the idea that he was in the Kimura and rolled him up, just cradled him, got the pin, and ducked out of the ring. This is the pickle they were in with Brock versus Cody. You're not doing Brock versus Cody once. There's no way. When Brock attacks Cody Rhodes, especially because Michael Cole put over on commentary, we don't even know why Brock Lesnar attacked Cody Rhodes. So we have narrative going on here. But regardless, Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar is a match. It's just simply not a match that's happening at one pay-per-view and then moving on. Where Cody Rhodes is right now and where Brock Lesnar is right now, it's not a one and done. So it's like, okay, you can't, beat Cody again. Cody Rhodes can't go and lose to Brock Lesnar at Backlash. You simply can't, after everything, after the journey that we've gone through with Cody Rhodes, if Cody Rhodes started to lose a lot of matches now, it you would start to do damage to not only Cody, 
but everybody's beaten the past, right? If Cody Rhodes started to lose all of his big matches, you'd almost be like, Seth Rollins must suck if Cody beat him three times, but he can't beat any of the big guys. So, and you go, I'm my 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 care for Cody is waning if he keeps losing. So you can't have him lose. But if Cody just beats Brock Lesnar straight up with no question, then that then it's answered, right? There's no question. That's the whole point. If there's no question, there's nothing to ask that would lead us to a second match. So I think that the cradle and, and, and Cody leaving, going like, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. Done. And Brock going like, oh. And he said, he made like a gesture to the referee or something that Cody had tapped. And that's when you go, oh, okay. All right. So there's more, there's more meat on the bone here. And I don't know. I would imagine we're going with Cody versus Brock at Night of Champions. Um, I don't know if they'll save the second match for Money in the Bank. But, yeah, I mean, in my head, the Cody versus Brock story is another set of three matches. But it's hard to it's hard to imagine Cody losing another one, and it's hard to imagine Brock losing another one. Like, you've already used your one ticket for Get Out of Jail Free. So, for the next one, you can't have Cody win via cradle. You can't, I don't know where it's going to go. Maybe it's a no contest next time. And then they finally have Cody get a decisive victory over Brock in their third match. I don't know, but I feel like the story with Brock is also what's going to keep Cody out of the World Heavyweight Championship conversation, which is necessary to the idea of the World Heavyweight Championship not being looked at as a consolation prize. That means not giving it to Cody Rhodes, which we will get into uh, momentarily. Uh, I also, you know, I think uh, before we move on completely from Backlash, the EO Sky thing was incredible. I think that uh, there we're already leaning towards damage control breaking up. Michael Cole didn't accidentally say, hey, there are people on social media that say damage control is actually holding EO Sky back. We didn't accidentally have a finish where Bailey's interference led to Bianca being able to get the win. The question is, what does the breakup look like? And I think after Backlash, I think that the move has got to be keeping Bailey and Dakota together and making EO a babyface. I think if you split all three up, it may water down EO slightly. If you make it where Bailey and Dakota are now a tag team called Damage Control and EO is this baby face that came off of that. I think it'll just, it'll, it'll put EO on the pedestal that she should be on. Because realistically, EO beating Bianca Belair is something that I think would work in the future. And EO would be a good opponent for Bianca to have to eventually win the title back from. EO would also be a great opponent for somebody like Charlotte Flair. Becky Lynch, you know, in the future, down the road when the when the brand split is not maybe as as uh, written in cement as it is supposedly. But again, we'll get into that in a little bit here on today's show. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's where we're headed with that. And I mean, really interesting. 
to see the bloodline in the position that they were in. You know, I the last time you know, the bloodline was not in the main event of a pay-per-view was I think it was Extreme Rules last year when it was Riddle versus Rollins. Because then I think after Extreme Rules, you go to Survivor Series and that's War Games. Uh, obviously, the Royal Rumble was was Roman versus KO with Sammy turning on him. Elimination Chamber was Roman versus Sammy. WrestleMania Night 1 was Usos. WrestleMania Night 2 was Roman. I mean... The bloodline has had a stronghold on main events for months and months and months and months. So the idea that they weren't in the main event was a big deal, but also the idea that it was the in-between match between the two main events is an even bigger deal. Um, I think that that obviously looking at that match, the future of the bloodline is about what's going on inside of the bloodline. Uh, I think... That if they're not going to do either Jay versus Roman, I feel like Solo versus Roman is down the road. I think that the Usos are the ones that get cast out of the bloodline. I don't think Solo gets cast out of the bloodline yet. I think that eventually when we get Solo versus Roman, it's when Roman finally turns babyface. I don't think Solo is a babyface against Roman. I think Jay Uso is a babyface against Roman. You know, it might be a little bit difficult to get there now because Sammy, you know, has spent the last, since January, telling Jay what's been going on and Jay refuses to be on his side. I don't know what it would take for Jay to finally smarten up to it, but maybe he will. And, and you know, we, we love Jay Uso so much that it's never going to be that big of a stretch to get him in the main event. But I think that that's kind of what you're going to be looking at. I, I think the idea that at some point we'll see Roman and Solo versus the Usos, and then get to another Roman versus Jay program, is I don't think that that's too far away. Now, it might not happen immediately because we might go with Bobby Lashley versus Roman before we do the bloodline fully disintegrating, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Speaking of international fans, though, the international fans weren't Jeff, and I say international in uh, in San Juan, even though it's a territory of the United States, obviously, but the wrestling fans outside of the continental United States showed up this weekend. AEW uh, announced, uh, whatever, a few weeks ago, that they were going to Wembley Stadium for All In. They're going to do another All In event. This is the first All In event since the first All In event. AEW, as a body, has never actually put on an all-in show. All-in was the pay-per-view that Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, and the Young Bucks produced independently. And it was kind of that, combined with what was going on in New Japan at the time, were the kind of motivating factors, legend has it, that led to Tony Khan launching AEW and them, of course, adopting All Out as one of their marquee events of the year every Labor Day weekend. So Tony Khan announces he's doing uh, All In, and this is going to go down August 27th at Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium seats 90,000 people. And, you know, you had uh, 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 a lot of screams from the haters, a lot of people uh, casting a lot of doubt on AEW's ability to draw in those numbers. Now, the thing that you have to remember is 
this is a market that I think a lot of people that we're commenting on don't know about. We can talk about what AEW's ratings on TNT are or how their shows have drawn in the United States, but nobody was really talking about, they haven't done a show in the UK. And nobody in those conversations that I heard, maybe they were happening outside of my bubble, were having conversations about how well they are or aren't doing in the UK, which would more accurately dictate their ability to draw in the UK. You know, when WWE in 1992 held SummerSlam in the United Kingdom, 1992 was not the greatest time financially, drawing power-wise, for WWE. But they'd never done a pay-per-view in the UK. They had done UK special events. They had done the Battle at the Royal Albert Hall. They had done European Rampage, UK Rampage. But they hadn't had one of their marquee international pay-per-views in the UK. When they announced SummerSlam was happening there in 1992 in Wembley Stadium, they sold 80,000 tickets. Why? Because, you know, it's WWE and because they weren't doing pay-per-views in the United Kingdom, especially SummerSlam, right? That's the top, that's the second most well-known show, arguably. You might argue it's the Royal Rumble, but I would say SummerSlam is number two to WrestleMania. So AEW puts their tickets on pre-sale this week and between pre-sale and the launch of regular sale, apparently in pre-sale, According to tweets and what's online, they sold like 35,000 tickets. And depending on who you ask right now, without announcing one match on the card, AEW has sold between somewhere between 50 and 60,000 tickets as of right now in Wembley Stadium, which is just a humongous number, uh, uh, a great accomplishment for sure. For AEW, and I think it is in the spirit of the original All In, where maybe the gamble wasn't quite as risky this time as it was when Cody and the Bucks and Omega said, we're going to sell 10,000 seats, we're going to put our own money into this. But still, a gamble nonetheless that has already paid off. Now, there are a ton of questions about this show. Obviously, this is going to be a show that that has a lot of people interested. It's by far the biggest show AEW's ever done in terms of sheer numbers. But they haven't said if it's going to be on, on pay-per-view. Furthermore, they haven't said anything about All Out. All Out, theoretically, traditionally, would happen... Labor Day weekend. Tony Khan has always said that he's big on the on on traditions, right? He's big on 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 all out happening in in Chicago and happening on Labor Day weekend. He's big on double or nothing, always coming from Vegas. Like these are these are things that he's talked about. So it would appear that the plan is to do all in on August 27th in front of Right now, 60,000 people, but we may get to 90, depending on, especially once you announce a cart. It's not crazy to think that you'll be able to sell, you know, another 30,000 tickets if you've already done 60 in, in without announcing a match. It's possible. Either way, it's going to be 70, 75,000. It'll be a, 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 an insane, a WrestleMania-sized audience in the building. But... Are they doing two pay-per-views in a row, one week after the other? AEW still goes by a traditional pay-per-view model where you're buying per event. You're not doing the 
stuff on Peacock where you're just streaming. And yeah, I'll watch two pay-per-views. One, I'll watch a pay-per-view every week if you put them on. Um, so I don't know about that. I also don't know how you creatively book two shows. If All Out is happening, which I think it is, how do you get people to be as, if not more excited about All Out a week later in front of whatever, 12,000 people when they just watched a show in front of 75,000 people in the UK? And I think that the answer to that is that you have to make them two completely different shows. You know, there's all this talk about uh, AEW doing either a hard split or a soft split of the roster and launching this Saturday show. I don't know what a hard split and a soft split is. I've never heard these terms before. Uh, this is apparently something that all of us wrestling fans know what it is. I have never heard hard split and soft split. I can under, I get it, but I've never heard anybody, especially with the amount of times that I've heard these terms over the last few days. But so maybe that's an answer, right? If there's going to be a split, if they're going to announce this Saturday show and the Saturday show is going to have its own roster, maybe the Dynamite roster goes and performs either at All In or All Out and the Saturday show roster performs at the other show. Possible, but then you're clearly going to make one roster seem much more valuable than the other. One roster is performing in front of whatever, 12,000 people in Chicago. I'm using the number 12,000. I have no idea what building they're in. I have no idea what the capacity would be, but it's under 20,000, right? One group is gonna perform in front of that number of people and the other group is gonna have 75,000 in the UK. You can't do that because it'll, like then you're, you have to be, you'd have to be so invested in the stories that are happening for all in, for whatever show, the Thursday show, let's say, because otherwise it's like, no, I'm just gonna watch the guys from Saturday in the UK. Like that's gonna be the big show. If you're asking me what I would do, I think that the move would be to make all in in Chicago, a standard AEW pay-per-view where we blow off big stories. What we do for every pay-per-view, same thing we've got coming up for the pay-per-view in May where it's like we're telling this four-pillar story so we can get to this pay-per-view or we'll have the four-way and blow everything off. Theoretically, they'll do something with Chris Jericho and Adam Cole. We'll blow it off at the pay-per-view. Boom, this will be the big extravaganza. The matches will have stories that led us here. It's Pro Wrestling 101, the same thing we've been doing since the very beginning. So what do we do with All In then? I think All In, you just build into a super show. All In becomes a, a one-night-only type of dream match scenario. That's where you're going to have your Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay match. Matches that have nothing to do with the day-in, day-out of AEW television. If you've already sold 60,000 tickets, you can do that. Just put on almost a showcase I would make it a showcase. And maybe you don't even put it on pay-per-view. Maybe you get Time Warner to go like, will you let us stream it on on, this, on on HBO? Will you let us stream it somewhere? This one time only all-in event where it's like, okay, this isn't about AEW. This isn't about the stories we've been telling on our roster. This is about 
you've got a stadium full of people. What's the best show that you can put on for us? And you just put on a great wrestling show. That's probably the move. A name that's been coming up a lot is Goldberg. Should AEW hire Goldberg? Goldberg uh, has been in the news saying that his contract with WWE is up. He never got the last match that he wanted, and he feels like his career is not over. I personally think a thousand percent AEW should get Goldberg. Yes, AEW should get Goldberg. Whether you love him or you hate him, you're paying attention to him. I think the idea, like Goldberg as a heel in AEW is as big a heel as you could possibly have. I mean, Goldberg represents everything that AEW was supposed to be the counterproduct to. There's no way you can tell me that there's not a huge match to build with Goldberg. I don't know. Like, people are talking about, like, if you said at the Wembley show, we're going to do, like, I don't know, Omega versus Osprey. We're going to do whoever, you know, CM Punk versus, I don't whatever. Like, you just put together your dream card. And then at All In, your main event is, like, MJF versus Sting. And you've got, like, if you've got Wardlow versus Goldberg on All Out, on All In, Wardlow versus Goldberg is on all in. It's just this fantasy match. Wardlow beats Goldberg, and then he goes on to have some kind of storyline-based grudge match at All Out a week later on the pay-per-view. I think this is this is where the money is. I think that, but that's what you got to do. I think that All Out, the pay-per-view in Chicago, is the moment that you headline it with Sting versus MJF title versus career because then even though it's not Wembley and you're not in front of 60,000 people 70,000 people 80,000 people you've still got this marquee match that everybody wants to see there's no way you can tell me that that's not a giant pay-per-view match especially with the moments that we got from MJF and Sting on television a few weeks back in the Darby Allen promo but then over on All In the week before is when you're doing, I don't even know if you put MJF on that show, quite frankly. MJF is such a storyline-based wrestler. I don't know if you do it, you know? I, I don't know if instead you do like, maybe Sting has a match with Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson. And it's just a, an exhibition match on his way to MJF. Just my thoughts. Just my thoughts on the matter. Um... Speaking of my thoughts, the WWE announced their heavyweight title tournament. Uh, by the time you guys are either seeing this on YouTube or listening, wherever you're listening to, we may already have a good idea of who is going to Night of Champions from Raw. But the idea is that you have six superstars from Raw and they have two triple threat matches and the winners of those two triple threat matches compete to get one representative from Raw. Then we get to SmackDown. You have two triple threat matches on SmackDown. And the winners compete and you have a representative from SmackDown. That's going to happen this week. And then you're left with two weeks 
to build this giant co-branded World Heavyweight Championship match for Night of Champions. I think the idea that you have two weeks to build the specific match that you're going to see at Night of Champions is a good thing. I think that 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 there is something to getting as much star power involved in this tournament to really put over the World Heavyweight title. What I hope gets explained to me is why SmackDown superstars want the World Heavyweight Championship. I kind of feel like it is a step backwards where if SmackDown superstars are competing for an opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship, it's almost like they're telling me they can't beat Roman. Because why else would they be like, no, I'm not going to compete in two triple threat matches and a singles match and then go to Night of Champions. No, I just fight Roman and beat him. I think that the, the, the goal for the World Heavyweight title and for it to, to have the ability to main event shows and to be that primary title, I think relied on its exclusivity to Monday Night Raw, and it's still going to have exclusivity to Monday Night Raw. I think the idea is that if a SmackDown guy wins the World Heavyweight Championship, then that SmackDown guy would now go over to Raw. I just, I said last week that the integrity of the World Heavyweight Championship would be uh, uh, one of the things that would make it so is the integrity of the brand split. And I already feel the brand split getting shaky with SmackDown involved in this World Heavyweight title tournament. So the, the six from SmackDown are going to be Austin Theory, AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley, Rey Mysterio, Edge, and Sheamus. So you're going to get great triple threat matches. You're going to get Edge coming back. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up with Edge versus uh, Seth or something like that in the finals uh, of the championship match uh, at Night of Champions. But I think you also have to look at the fact that you're now not getting any of the bloodline. For a second, when they announced this SmackDown uh, 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 inclusion, I thought that it was going to be a scenario where maybe Jey Uso or Solo Sokoa goes all the way to the finals. And in the case of Jey Uso, he lost, and that became the thing that divided the bloodline. And in the case of Solo Sokoa, he won, and now you have the bloodline taking control of both brands. I saw some people saying when this was first announced before they knew the participants, maybe the Roman does just go and take all of the titles right away. But there's no way Roman is wrestling two matches on SmackDown. On one episode of SmackDown, Roman's going to wrestle two matches. It's not going to happen. So that's not on the table anymore. I think that 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 it's okay that there's no bloodline in this thing because I think the last thing that you want is the world heavyweight title to be looked at as uh, just another piece of the bloodline story. I think you want the world heavyweight title to be as separated from the bloodline story as humanly possible, which is why I would have preferred no SmackDown inclusion in the tournament at all. I think that you're also in a scenario where I wanted to see like eight guys from Raw or even 16 competing in a tournament to crown this champion because then 
not only do you have all these stars, Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, Damian Priest, The Miz, but you can throw other people in. There are superstars that are obviously not going to be in the finals for the World Heavyweight Championship. But, but if they're in the tournament, they're at least allowed to have moments that make them memorable and they're allowed, uh, it, it allows there to be a conversation around those superstars potentially being future World Heavyweight Champions. I think that LA Knight being represented in the tournament, even though LA Knight got draft, drafted to SmackDown, uh, which bothered me. I thought LA Knight, it was high time for him to get drafted to Monday Night Raw uh, just for a change of, of scenery. It just for that way, something new could happen for him. And primarily because I wanted to see him in a tournament for the World Heavyweight Championship, not because I thought he was going to win, but because I wanted that conversation to happen. Ooh, what if? Wouldn't it be great if? Imagine if. And the other one is Dominic Mysterio. And with six superstars from Raw, you've already got two of them representing the Judgment Day. So if you're only going to have six superstars from Raw, there's no way you could do Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio all in tournament. Also because then two of the one of the triple threat matches would have two Judgment Day members in it, which would be a, a really tough thing to sell to the audience. But if you had a bigger tournament that wasn't triple threat matches and it was only Raw Superstars, there would be room for Dominic to be in there and then people could ponder, imagine if Dominic Mysterio actually won the World Heavyweight Championship because the path that Dominic Mysterio is on right now. This is why I wish Dominic Mysterio were in the World Heavyweight Title Tournament. Because the path that Dominic Mysterio is on now, unconventional as it may be, has made him one of the top stars in WWE. It's about the connection that you have with the audience. It's about the reaction that you get from the audience. It's, a, it's about the, the, the ride that you take the audience on. And there is there are very few stories that a larger percentage of the audience is invested in more than Dominic Mysterio's uh, 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 evolution into prison dom, into Rhea's, uh, no, I guess it's not her son, but the, the man that calls Rhea Ripley mommy. Everybody loves Dominic. They boo him. They have a funny way of showing it. But to say that Dominic wouldn't be interesting in a scenario where he is fighting for the championship. I'm not advocating for Dominic Mysterio to win the World Heavyweight Championship, but I am saying the same way that Dominic Mysterio's whole character is based around convincing you that he survived prison. The psychology is no different than that character convincing you that he should be the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. The other interesting uh, person that was not in the tournament is Drew McIntyre. Uh, lots of rumors all over the place about Drew McIntyre and what his future is. Drew McIntyre is an interesting one, right? Because there are a lot of people that are pure WWE superstars that you wonder what that would look like in other organizations. But with Drew, you forget that the reason that Drew is such a big star in WWE is because when he was released from WWE the first time, 
he figured out how to make an enormous name for himself in every other promotion across the American Independence, PWG, Impact. I mean, Drew Galloway was a huge star outside of WWE. If Drew Galloway showed up in another organization, he would have no trouble being at the top of the industry. I want to see him stay in WWE because I think he's great. But Drew is one of those guys that I think could be a main eventer anywhere he goes. It'll be very interesting to see how that story continues to develop. Speaking of continuing to develop, uh, the email segment continues to develop here on Not Sam Wrestling. People seem to just love it. I hear about it all the time. I get more and more emails every week. If you want to email in, I can't promise I won't be cranky. Email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, of course, you can also leave a comment on the YouTube video. You can leave a review on the Apple uh, or the Spotify. Uh, Spotify, I think you can just leave a rating. Uh, but if you'd like to be a part of the email segment, it's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Mike says, hey, Sam, do you, do you think that if Jay Uso and or the Usos end up on Raw, Jay could win the title? I wouldn't mind seeing him face Sammy in the finals and him beating Sammy, then they hug it out. What? I think it finishes both of their stories and puts Jay where he belongs. Thoughts? No. What? Why would they hug it? Like, they hate... I don't understand why they would hug it out just because they had a match. Um, I, I think that the Jay and Sammy story is done. It's been done. It finished at WrestleMania. We got a little bit more out of it at Backlash, but it's very done. I think that Jay in the tournament, no, I, I think that if Jay were in the tournament, the purpose of him being in the tournament would be to lose in the finals, thus upsetting Roman Reigns. I don't think if Jay Uso is in the finals of the tournament, I don't think anybody is wondering where he stands with Sami Zayn. I think that they're wondering where he stands with Roman Reigns. And at the finals of that tournament, actually had been Jey Uso versus Sami Zayn. Then you're sitting there going, so there is just one story in WWE. It's just the bloodline story, and that's all we watch here. And that's why we created a new title. No, Mike, I don't think so. Uh, Matt Brown, let me talk to you. I'm listening to your most recent pod and was going to ask you a question if you thought any possible backlash or downside to Logan Paul winning the title. Not on the level of David Arquette winning the WCW title, but if maybe years down the road... If one of those, can you believe they did that scenarios? But then you brought up the possibility of Dominic versus Bad Bunny, Hell in a Cell match, and now I can't stop thinking about it. You son of a bitch, I'm in. Thank you. Uh, thank you. No, I don't think there would be backlash. I, I think that uh, the difference between Logan Paul and David Arquette is that nobody ever said, I can't believe how good at wrestling David Arquette is. They went, David Arquette is terrible at this. He should not be here. Why did he win the title? I think that when Logan Paul got a shot at Roman Reigns, nobody left that match. Maybe they started the match going, Logan Paul shouldn't be in this match, but they didn't leave the match going, he shouldn't have been in that match. They left the match going, all right, Logan Paul and Roman Reigns was an incredible match. So because of that, I don't see it. You know, I don't think he'd be one of the great champions of all time. I think it would be sort of like the Miz winning the title in Money in the Bank where it's this heel 
now has the title. He shouldn't have the title, but he's going to have a great match with a baby face to lose it. And and I think that's all it is. Um, and yeah, I'm still down for Bad Bunny versus Dominic Hell in a Cell. That's where this has to go. SummerSlam, Bad Bunny, Dominic Mysterio, Hell in a Cell. Come on. Matt, uh, Sam, love listening to your weekly podcast. On the May 1st pod, you responded to a listener asking about, I love emails about emails, asking uh, about refreshing the titles each year at Night of Champions. You stated to do that would basically make titles not matter in wrestling. I totally agree, which leads me to ask why the F did WWE draft Indy Hartwell and uh, Alba Fire and Dawn, who are currently champs in NXT. These three women only recently won their titles, and now they'll likely have to give them up after hardly making a dent in their respective divisions, instead of making NXT call-ups, uh, Zoe Stark and Von Wagner mean something special. They were minor announcements after the show went off the air, and instead we got to see Indy, Alba, and uh, Isla react, which is okay, but I can't grasp why. I think the call-ups will be great for the women's division overall. I just don't understand the thinking there. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Appreciate all you do for us fans. I love the way that email was worded. It didn't make me upset. I think that, uh, first of all, so this week on NXT, Indy Hartwell did uh, uh, give up the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, Alba and Isla have not given up the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. So we don't know where that's going to go. Maybe until they lose the titles, uh, they'll be on both shows. Don't forget that Battleground is at the end of the month. We're like three weeks from NXT Battleground. So the idea that uh, Isla and Alba would keep those titles just until three weeks from now and then drop them at battleground, I don't think is crazy. So I, I don't have a problem with that. And Indy, she did drop the title, but she was injured as well. Indy would have had to drop the title, unfortunately, whether she got drafted or not. Um, I think for your second question, so... I don't know about why you wouldn't want to make Zoe Stark and Von Wagner bigger deals, other than the fact that Von Wagner was drafted as a free agent, which in the case of like Omas, in the case of Brock Lesnar, I think that's like, okay, these monsters can go anywhere. In the case of Baron Corbin, I think it's building on the story that he's got right now. But in the case of Von Wagner, I don't think they know what they're going to do with him. I think it's just time to uh, you-know-what or get off the pot, if you know what I'm saying. In the case of Zoe Stark, I think she absolutely could have been drafted on television since she's got a brand. But I, I don't think that they should be drafted on television instead of the champions. I think if you're drafting NXT champions to the main roster, it should be a big deal. These are the champions of NXT. These are the top people in their respective divisions. So they absolutely, to not put a spotlight on them and still draft them, would be totally asinine and completely devalue the championships. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, I think that the point is moot until those titles are vacated. And Indy's, vac Indy's vacation. Indy vacating the title has nothing to do with the draft. I don't think. Uh, the title picture, uh, this one's from Mike. I think the last guy's name was Mike, too. But this is Mike in London. Uh, oh, that's from Matt. Matt and Mike. Mike says, hope you're well. I'm one of the many UK fans and subscribers to your podcast and YouTube channel. I had a question regarding Roman's historic reign and the current world title picture with Cody not winning the title as predicted. 
And rumors of Roman taking time off in due course. Who would you have Roman drop the title to? Personally, I want Cody to beat Roman to have him win next year's Rumble and challenge Roman at WrestleMania 40 and win, thus concluding this story. It would also justify how a Raw star could challenge the SmackDown champion. What do you think? I heard a recent podcast of yours where you discussed the new world heavyweight title picture and suggested Seth winning it. If Seth did win it, could you see him face Roman at Survivor Series in a champion versus champion? And who would you want to have win that match? Uh, okay, Mike. So I think there's a lot there. I think that the only, at this point, the only conversation I'm willing to have about Roman losing the title revolves around what if Roman had to lose the title? Because I don't see Roman losing the title anytime soon. I am not in the business of predicting who do you think should beat Roman? Because it's no one's beating Roman. It's not the thousand days. After a thousand days, he's going to get 1,200 days, 1,400 days. You know, he, uh, he may go easily go another year or two as champion at this point, especially with the addition of the World Heavyweight Championship. That's just reality. If you're telling me that Roman has to lose the title because he's taking time off, I think what I would consider doing, I consider two things, okay? And they're different scenarios for different reasons. Scenario number, I think that the Cody winning the Royal Rumble and going to WrestleMania to finally finish the story is a little bit predictable. I think it's very possible. I think it's a little bit predictable. If Roman is going away, and coming back in three months, and it's time to turn him into a baby face, I have Solo Sokoa beating Roman for the title. Solo Sokoa now holds that title, and then whoever the next baby face is beats Solo and not Roman. But I would have Solo beat Roman, still be a heel, and then either have someone else beat Solo or Roman comes back to avenge his loss. Solo betrays Roman and beats him for the title. If Roman is going away and you don't want to turn him, that's if you want to turn Roman babyface when he comes back. If the plan is not to turn Roman babyface and to keep the bloodline intact, I would not have Cody Rhodes win the title. I would have Seth Rollins win the World Heavyweight Championship. I would build towards a champion versus champion match, whether at Survivor Series, whether at WrestleMania 40, where it's Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. I would get there because I believe people would be convinced. You gotta be kidding me. They're just gonna give Roman all the belts. I can't believe they're doing this to Seth Rollins. And then I would have Seth Rollins beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I would have Seth Rollins be the ultimate champion, the WWE champion, the undisputed champion, whatever you want to do. World heavyweight title gets folded back into that lineage. And then after WrestleMania or wherever you're going to do this, that's when Cody Rhodes steps up and he reminds Seth that it's time to finish the story. Because Cody Rhodes' story has never been about Roman Reigns. It's only been about the title. But if there's one superstar who Cody is cosmically connected to in this 
run. If there is a Joker to Cody Rhodes' Batman, it's Seth Rollins. I think that the only thing that could potentially be bigger than Cody trying to beat Roman to finish the story is Cody beating Seth to finish the story. Uh... Dustin said, uh, if there were GMs, to me, Undertaker should be, uh, though I think we already, we talked about this last week. Um, uh, Isaiah said, uh, hey, Sam, I've been a Not Sam Wrestling fan for almost a decade now. Makes your boy feel old. Just want to say thank you for your love of professional wrestling and excellent production skills. All right, well, I'm an okay host too, I think. My question, <laughs> I'm kidding, Isaiah. Can you see Dominic Mysterio as the world heavyweight champion? Okay, no, I I, uh, I think I answered that. Um, yeah, no, I think I answered that. Appreciate you. Uh, okay, Ryan, Sam, can you please comment on Mattel Creations crowdfunding the WCW stage project that you were invited to be part of the launch of? That's right. I was. Uh, we talked about it a lot with Johnny Gargano in the Elite Squad video that we taped uh, at the WrestleMania Superstore. And then I also hosted the Mattel live stream with Bill McKenna and Steve Ozer trying to promote that. Uh, so yeah, what was uh, within their control that they could have changed to make this product a success? They didn't even get 50% of their first tier. That's not true. Uh, their first tier was 5,000 backers and they got 4,000 almost. So, I mean, Mattel fought hard to get the 5,000 backers. Uh, I, you know, in the last week, we saw advertisements on both NXT and SmackDown. Uh, they did a ton of digital ads. There were ads on YouTube. There were ads on Instagram. There were ads on WWE.com. Uh, you know, people talk about the selection of figures. The product offering was the WCW Nitro stage that was real scale and enormous, along with uh, figures of Rey Mysterio and Scott Steiner, if it got 5,000 backers. Add Diamond Dallas Page to that if it got 7,000 backers. Add The Ultimate Warrior in a duster in jeans at 9,000 backers. And Hulk Hogan in WCW gear from the Nitro debut at 11,000 backers. And they hit just under four. Uh, you know, people talk about figure selection. And they could have tweaked it, you know. I think maybe adding Booker T in there somewhere um, would have helped. Uh, but... A lot of the figures that people would have wanted don't have WWE Legends deals. So a lot of these figures are either not available or they're coming out in other lines. People go, well, why wouldn't you put the Outsiders in that set? Because the Outsiders are coming out in another set. So you can't just you can't just throw figures in that you're going to have being released in other sets. Uh, I think ultimately this is a pricey item and history is written by the winners. I think that... that it's WCW Nitro. And WCW Nitro, the second most famous thing that they ever did was beat Monday Night Raw 83 weeks straight in the ratings. The first most famous thing WCW Nitro ever did was be purchased by WWE. Nitro going out of business is the most famous thing that Nitro that happened to Nitro. So the most famous episode of Nitro is not the first episode, it's the it's the simulcast. The contract says McMahon, but it's not Vince McMahon. So I think ultimately that becomes a tougher sell. And uh, unfortunately, only 4,000 or so people said that they wanted it instead of 5,000. I was down. I was in for at least two, if not three. Um, 
but it didn't get backed. And that's really, really unfortunate because I saw the set in person and it was incredible and it's not going to get made. So it's a bummer. Uh, Zach writes in, Hey Sam, I would just have to say I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Now onto the question. What are your thoughts on Braun Breaker not getting called up? Also, who should be Roman's next challenger? Keep up the good work, Sam. Roman's next challenger should either be Jay Uso or Bobby Lashley. And in terms of Braun Breaker not getting called up, I'm okay with it because I think Braun Breaker is going to come up uh, in, a, in a very impactful role regardless. You know, I think he's still uh, within his heel run right now in NXT. And I think if there isn't a clear storyline for him to take part in on the main roster right now, don't just throw him in there for the sake of throwing him in there. I don't think we'll have to wait a year for Braun Breaker on the main roster, though. I think it's okay. Uh, Brandon says, uh, hey, Sam, with all the social media antics by Conor McGregor toward Paul Heyman and Roman, I'm curious to hear what your ideas would be for a Conor McGregor run in WWE. If I could recklessly speculate uh, for you once more, you know I love reckless speculation. Uh, having the real double champ, uh, McGregor, totally screw with Cody's story by dethroning Roman instead would be about as shocking as Lesnar ending Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. I don't see it happening this year, but if McGregor is serious about making a run in WWE, it wouldn't be a bad idea for WWE to pull the trigger to legitimize McGregor inside the WWE universe. People can argue it being a waste of the investment WWE has made uh, into Roman, but they can't argue the attraction that is McGregor uh, and having a name like Conor McGregor as the WWE champion would reign in the mainstream even more. Uh, oh, he means like reign in, not like rain falling from the sky. Keep up the amazing work. I appreciate it, Brandon. Terrible idea. Terrible idea, Brandon. No, not Roman. You've got two champions now. You could, I guess, put the world heavyweight title on Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor doesn't need a title. No, first of all, I don't think Conor McGregor is coming in for a run. I think Conor McGregor is coming in for a big match at WrestleMania that will have some promos with it. I don't think you're going to see Conor McGregor as part of a storyline who's defending a title on television, who's part of multiple pay-per-views. I don't think it'll ever happen. I think Conor will accept a giant payday to wrestle at WrestleMania one day. I think it'll happen. Uh, with that said, it depends on where we're at at the time. You know, I think Seth Rollins, uh, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes are all great answers to who should fight Conor McGregor. But the idea that you should put the title on him in a year, the idea that you get Roman to the 1,400 days to beat Hogan and that reign ends with Conor McGregor, no. No, Brandon. I don't think that's a good idea. Chiamo! Hey, Sam, if you were head of creative uh, in WWE and you were tasked with booking three main event matches for a pay-per-view at Michigan Stadium, which holds 108,000 people, which three matches are you booking to sell that joint out? You can use any wrestler in their prime, past and present, dead or alive. Shama, I do a whole show, The Ultimate Show. It's on Peacock or the WWE Network. Go watch The Ultimate Show. I'm not booking an Ultimate Show. That takes an hour. It's an hour to book The Ultimate Show, okay? We have to figure it out as a team, what's going to be on the card. And then I sit there sometimes for 25 minutes standing in front of a giant screen, booking the entire card out as Ryan Papola, Matt Camp, and Kaz look on with childlike wonderment in their eyes. Am I going to sit here in the email segment and book this dream card for you? No, of course not. Come on. And finally, finally, oh God, this is from a guy named Sam this is bad. The subject says long read in parentheses. 
I'm trying to wrap this thing up here, dude. <laughs> Sam, a huge fan of your work. Keep it up. I'd like to uh, get your take on something. I know you want to get my take on something. That's why you're emailing. If it's going to be long, all of this other stuff is unnecessary. Uh, personally, I'm tired of this constant debate over spilling the splitting the world titles and bringing back new titles and drafts being brand exclusive, brand exclusive, yada, yada, yada. Uh, nowadays, there is absolutely no reason lore-wise to have two competing brands. As of press time, there are now three physical championship belts, two world champions. Yes, two champions, uh, but only one WWE. Who is the WWE champion, really? Okay, get to it. Personally, I think that uh, the main event, the main element keeping WWE away from the quote-unquote mainstream zeitgeist is the fact that to the layperson, the mere structure of the WWE is very confusing, okay? So you have the WWE champion, then you also have the WWE Universal champion, but they, they're two belts, uh, one title. Okay, I think WWE needs to go back to basics. If they want to be seen on the same level of credibility as, say, UFC or the NFL, they need to stick to the basics. It's not like the UFC has UFC Monday nights in the pit, uh, uh, UFC Monday night in the pit, and UFC Thursday night takedown. They just have UFC fight night and their pay-per-views. The NFL has multiple shows a week. Uh, but they're just a day of the week football, not Monday Night Gridiron, Thursday Night Blitz. Personally, I'd like to see one WWE championship, one belt, one championship, one set of tag team championships. My personal hot take, get rid of the U.S. championship and either give the IC title a specific purpose or lore or scrap it entirely for the Money in the Bank briefcase as the secondary prize. Okay, here's the problem with your whole setup is you're saying, hey, WWE, I know you like money. What if you made less? Wouldn't that be great for lore? No, it wouldn't be great for lore. The problem is that you got to have multiple titles, a ton of superstars, and different brands if you're going to put on six hours of television a week plus pay-per-views, okay? If Raw is going to be three hours, SmackDown is going to be two hours. You got another two hours for NXT, and then you got a four-hour pay-per-view to put on once a month. You can't do that with one men's title, one women's title, one tag team title, and one roster of people. There's, there's, you don't, there's not enough, right? You're sitting here, UFC, UFC doesn't have to fill all these hours. And when they do, you're just putting on fights. Wrestling is not just putting on matches. You need storylines going into this. You need hooks. You need drama, okay? You got football is on multiple nights a week. Yes, but it's one game per show. You can't say the match on Monday Night Raw this week is this one match and the match on SmackDown this week is this one match. It's Friday Night WWE. It's Monday Night WWE. That can't happen because that's not how wrestling works. Wrestling is a sell. You got to get people to watch and you can't just get people to watch by saying there's going to be a 90 minute match on this week. It's going to be great. You can do that once every three years, maybe you can do that every week. So, I mean, I get what you're saying about wanting simplicity, but you could have that simplicity when you had like, you know, two hours of syndicated TV a week, three hours, four hours, whatever of syndicated TV a week that was mostly made up of job matches and promos. You can't do that anymore. 
That's not the way it works anymore. Nobody's going to tune in for that. Because if WWE goes, we're just going to do job matches and promos, and because we only got one champion from each division now, then I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion and go, cool, I'm going to have six championships and put on main events every single week. Guess what show people are going to watch? It ain't going to be the one that's simple. It's going to be the one with the main events every week because I love me some main events. And that's why Not Sam Wrestling is a main event every single week. Because I got to get people to keep tuning in. And I'm glad that you do. Thank you for listening to today's show or watching it. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to Not Sam Wrestling. I will be dropping this Thursday, I believe. I will be dropping Not Sam Mania on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed. If you're listening to us on audio, make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, wherever you are. If you're on Apple, leave a rating and a review. If you're on Spotify, leave a rating. If you're on YouTube, hit like, subscribe, leave a comment. And I will see you next week for more Not Sam Wrestling.